Father, we come to you tonight, and oh, we love that. We love that we can come to you. We know that you come to us, we come to you, and we can have this intimate relationship. We need you every hour. A great and awesome and almighty God, and yet we can come with that kind of tenderness and know that you have that kind of compassion, and you care about everything that we're going through. What a God you are. And may we just sometimes just take a minute and just comprehend that there are really no words to express how we feel and how you feel toward us. Father, we are so blessed because of who you are. I love your word tonight. I love how it's relatable, how we can, um, well, it's very convicting in some ways. It it makes us see things we've never maybe wanted to see in ourselves before. But, Lord, this is the way you teach us. You want us to be complete in you. You want us to have joy in you. You, you want us to wake up in the morning with assurance and, and knowing that we have abundant life in you. So tonight, may, we, may our hearts be open. May our ears and our eyes be open, our spiritual eyes and ears. May we, may we hear what you want us to hear. We know you will meet us where we're at. You will minister to us in a way that maybe the person next to us would never even, that doesn't even interest them. You have a way of knowing just what we need tonight. And this lesson will communicate if we let your spirit do that to our heart. So we are excited for this. We are glad that, that we could be here tonight. And um, Lord, I know you will honor this time. And we will truly give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. I can really hear you tonight. I can hear you individually. <laughs> I did. I heard, I heard you say that tonight. It was great. So Esther chapter 5 tonight. And uh, maybe you read that. And, and you answered those simple questions that I had. But maybe you thought, oh, that's all part of the connecting the dots for this whole story, you know, the whole book of Esther. And we need this chapter because now things are really getting juicy. They're really, they're really getting going. And, and we, don't, we don't look at it and say, what is this chapter in here for? For me, why is this in here for me? And and it's more than just connecting dots. It's more than just a part of a story. It's teaching. It's training. And we need to see some of these words. And, and so um, tonight, um, we're going to get right into it. And so it starts with this. Um, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes. Now, we don't know the timeline. We don't know how many years or, or, or years. I don't even know if it's years, but don't know between chapters um, two and three. We really don't know um, how long Esther's been queen. You know, we don't know the timetable. So we assume the call for is 
it's pretty long because, I mean, the king hasn't um, called for the queen in 30 days. So, I mean, we're not talking about oh, a week ago or whatever. So we're just not sure. But by now, we know that between chapters 4 and 5, it is three days because we ended last week with with um, Mordecai kind of putting Esther on the spot, you know, and, and we talked about that. And um, we really missed the word prayer and fasting, didn't we, last week? We really missed hearing that word prayer because when we fast, it's for an important reason. And it's giving up something for a really good reason. And I don't know how you could possibly do that without that connection with God. So when you pray and fast, you've invited God into this situation. And then you can accept how it turns out, that his will, his purpose. And it's just, you know, you can confidently go on. But when you don't pray and fast, when you don't include him, I really saw Mordecai and Esther really trying to figure this out. How are we going to work this out? We, we've got a big problem here, and how are we going to do that? And, and um, when, he, when Mordecai says those words that we all know so well, um, that those those three words all really got to me last week, and I'm sure you could see that I was upset about that because when Mordecai said, "And who knows? And who knows? You might have been here, put in this, you know." And that those three words, "And who knows?" I'm thinking, yeah, you missed the whole point. God knows. God's orchestrated these details, and and. Uh, um, so, you know, when he put that, to me, I thought he was kind of using scare tactics. I think he also was trying to say to her, hey, I've done a lot for you, and now this is the one thing I ask of you. And um, that's where we kind of left last week. And she has said, okay, if I perish, I perish. And and um, we, we just, oh, how many times have we said that? We just wish she would have said or we wish Mordecai would have said. There were so many opportunities for them to include and, and to sing, oh, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you. And I don't see it. I don't hear it. So now after fasting without prayer, but fasting for three days now, Esther puts on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in the front of the king's hall. I mean, those are a lot of details. I mean, we can kind of picture exactly what she's wearing and where she stands and, and in front of the king's hall. And, and what do we remember about this palace? And in the first chapter, remember how Xerxes was just so proud of what he's done and, and his, his palace and all he has. And he's just, he's just so puffed up with his greatness. And he holds that party for 180 days for all the, the officials and nobles. And then, and then he invites everybody in to come and walk through open house for seven days. Remember how he opens the bar. 
and whatever kind you want, and he's just the big wig. So we know it's a beautiful, stunning place. And we could picture beautiful Esther in her royal robes. And she is standing in front of the king's hall. And the king was sitting on the royal throne. You can about picture that too. You know, he is in his finery and he's perched himself on this royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. So... When he saw Queen Esther, and I asked you a question, and I bet you you thought, um, uh, or you think her heart was beating hard. I'm sure you could almost see the heart beating through her royal robes. I mean, this was quite a nerve-wracking experience. I mean, she knows full well what she told Mordecai. If he doesn't hold out that scepter to me, I'm as good as gone. And, um, but... But the king, the king did like it. it. Says he was pleased with her, and he's pleased with her. This is all surface. This is all on the outer exterior. He doesn't even know her. He he probably looked at her and said, "Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about her." I mean, you know, 30 days he hasn't seen this woman that has put a crown on her head, made her queen, you know. Oh, he's too busy with his harem and his concubines. And, oh, that's right. I made her queen. Esther, she's gorgeous. and It's all exterior because, you know, he really has never really gotten to know her. I mean, how would, if you really love somebody and you know that they're in the same vicinity, how would you not call them to be with you and for 30 days? I mean, we just have to see the reality here. So anyway, he does um, hold out his gold scepter to her and was, and so Esther approached and touched the tip of the, of the scepter. So, phew, I think right now she's, whew. so she's in there. She's in. He's held out the scepter. She's touched the end. Good. We're this far, at least this far. Now, when I read he sat on his royal throne, and he's acting, and my mind went back to King, Zer- King obviously Xerxes, but Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, Belshazzar, you know, all of those empire leaders, they were thinking they were sovereign. They, they were thinking they were God. There is none other than me. And they had such a self-importance. And my mind went to Revelation 21, and I think this is what this is what the Lord wants us to see, the capital K king on the throne. And you know, um, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, it's very obvious that God never wanted humanity to have a king. When when God's people asked for a king, Samuel, we want a king. We want a king. And and the reason they wanted a king, according to that chapter, was they wanted to be like every other nation. Every other nation had kings. Well, you know, every other nation wasn't, they weren't God's people. 
They were ungodly, idol-worshiping nations. And here, they wanted to be like them. They wanted a king. And, and um, Samuel, he felt terrible about that and went to the Lord about it. And the Lord came back and said this to Samuel. They are not rejecting you, Samuel. They are rejecting me as their king. And, you know, from then on, the kings in the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, other than maybe two in the kingdom of Judah, they were all evil. They led the people in wrong directions. And you could tell the Lord he never intended us to have an earthly king because we already have one. When he said to, to Samuel, they're rejecting me as their king. So my mind went to Revelation 21, and, and this is where we need to picture not Xerxes sitting on his throne thinking he is almighty, but to hear these words. And it says in Revelation 21, John says, I heard, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will be their God, and he will live with them, and he will wipe every tear from their eye. They will be, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated new the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. John, write this down. Because I want to make sure everyone knows that these words that I'm saying are trustworthy and true. And then the one on the throne said, I am, I am the Alpha and the Omega. It is done. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. And it goes on. That's the king with a capital K. That's the throne we are to look at. And, but when the world gets their mitts on it, what, what a difference. So anyway, then the king asked, back to Esther 5, when the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is it? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. So in the time of those three days of fasting, Esther and her maidens got this banquet ready. It sounded like it was ready to go. She said, come to this banquet I have prepared for, for you. And then bring Haman at once, the king said. So let's get Haman. So Esther's request was get Haman and together you two will be a part of this banquet I've prepared. So the king and Haman went to the banquet. So doesn't it sound to you that it was pretty fast? I mean, they went from this room, from the throne room to this banquet room, and it's all set up, ready to go. 
Then verse 6. Did you look at that and think, is that all they do? As they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, Now, what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? Even to half the kingdom, it will be granted. So he's wondering, you know, um, you know, you obviously did all this for a reason. And so what is it, Queen Esther? What would you like? And, and she comes back with quite an unusual thing, you know, because she comes back and says, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Now, we, we know this story so well. And, and you know, I guess I never really thought about it. But, you know, she has this banquet and and he says well what did you do this for and how come how come she didn't say well here it is I'm gonna lay it all out to you but she doesn't she comes back and she has no idea what's gonna happen between these two banquets if she were really connected to the Lord she would know that it's God's timing and, and God knew that the second banquet cannot happen until a lot of things ha- happen. So she probably, in my, I put myself in her shoes, and, you know, she's probably, this is all happening so fast, you know. He, he held the gold scepter. She touches it. He says, what do you want? And she says, I, I prepared a banquet. Okay, let's go. And so he and Haman, they are off to that banquet, and they're sitting there, and they're drinking their wine, and they're having a good time, those two guys. And then, well, what is it, Esther, you know? Why did she say, well, let's come back again tomorrow? (laughs) She probably, humanly speaking, I would say she thought, oh, I need another day. I got to clear up. I got to make sure that I have my speech down. I'm I'm a little nervous yet. Maybe let's just come back again tomorrow. You know, that's the only thing I can think of is that she is not quite sure of herself. And she's still, you know, she's still kind of wondering and doubting about how this is all going to be because her life is right in this petition here. And so she calmly, maybe, acts calm and says, let's just repeat this. If it pleases the king let's, to grant my petition, um, let, come back tomorrow. And then I will tell you what I'm, and then I will tell you what I need to tell you, and I will answer your question. So there is, you know, now we've gotten this far. So Haman and the king, they probably stay for a little while longer and then Esther leaves and they go back home because it says in verse 9 Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits Haman left happy and 
this, this week, I really asked the Lord, would you bring words, just a single word that you want us to relate to, that you want us to go over, that maybe in our hum, human nature that we have veered off course. You know, maybe, you know, maybe we're, we're just not on the right road and maybe we need these words to come off the page and let's go over them. And the word happy was one of those words. So it said when Haman went out that day, he was happy and he was in high spirits. Well, we kind of know why he's in high spirits. But the word happy, he's happy. And, and that word happy is is a, a human word. It affects our human nature, and we love to be happy. But the thing is, what makes us happy is when everything is going my way. Happiness really does base itself on how things are going according to me. Happy is so superficial, that word is, is to me, it, there's nothing wrong with being happy. But if I were really to be honest, how, how much am I happy? I mean, in the scope of my life, if I put a percentage on happy, every, every day was happy. I would say it was, it was less than 10% of the time. Because there's, there is, there's not hardly a day that goes by that something just hurts me. You know, whether it's something in, a, in the family, whether it's a decision, whether it's just listening to the news and watching the world's condition, knowing what's happening to different people and just all the changes that are happening. And I'm thinking... No, I, I'm not happy a lot. I mean, happy, you know when I think of happy is when I have a certain event and I need, I need to get something to wear. And at this age, it's getting harder. And it is one happy day when I can come home with a garment bag and I am pleased that it's covered everything that needs to cover and it accentuates the few things that I might want to accentuate. I mean, that's a happy day. And look how superficial that is. But you know what it is. When you get something that really fits you and you, you feel really quite smart in it and it just makes you feel like, well, it makes you smile. And... That's happy. Yeah, that's happy, you know. But before you know it, that doesn't last. The, the outfit gets old. And, you know, same thing with any material thing. It will give you a temporary happy. It feels good. Nothing wrong with it. But I better know that there is another way to live if I'm less than 10% of the time that I'm happy. Now, we can understand Haman is happy. Oh, my goodness. He has been elevated to second in the kingdom. He is rich. He, his wives, he's, he's, got, he's got everything that he ever dreamt. And so he's happy. It's all about me, and I'm 
I'm totally, I just love the way everything is just worked out. And, oh, he's happy. Now, I couldn't help, of course. I, I asked the Lord, and boy, you don't ever ask him without making sure you're ready because he's wanting us to learn. And how even Christians, we're caught up with that word happy. We want comfortable. We want easy. We want to feel good. And that just doesn't happen that much. So how can we live? What did Jesus, remember last week when he said to us in, in John 14, in, in this world, you will have trouble. And I think he's pretty much saying, uh, you're not going to be happy that many days. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. Go to your heart. What's in your heart? And the Holy Spirit then will remind you all what you have in your heart. He will bring you back to the cross. He'll bring you, he will, he will remind you of the fruit of his spirit that, that we are able to, to use because the Holy Spirit is right there ready to produce that in us when we step aside. But when you're caught and you are just so tied in to happy, then you're going to miss what Jesus said. Turn in John 15, John 15. And, and here, if you've got red letter edition, then you will, you will know that Jesus is in a real talk. I mean, these red letters in my Bible, I mean, they go on for pages. He's, he's in the last week of his life. And he, he knows that he, he's got little time to really train his disciples and he knows, because he's God, he knows that when he sends these, when these 12 out, minus Judas, but then Matthias, when he sends these 12 out to bring the gospel to the world, he knows that it's not going to be happy. Oh, they might have a few times, but, but it is going to be a rough road. And they have got to know the difference between those two words. So he says these words. This is, this is the key to making sure we know how we can sustain, we can go through life, even though 90-some percent of the time we are not happy, but yet we can still have that word joy. Joy is from within. Joy is something he can give, and only he can give, really, true joy. We know in the line of the ninth fruit, joy is second, right after love. If you really understand his love, his unconditional love, his grace and mercy for you, you are going to, next one, you are going to have joy. That's why those nine are in perfect order. Joy is a, this is a way he, Jesus wants us to live, even though in this world you're going to have trouble. You're going to be unhappy a lot of the time. But to have joy, and here, here's how you do it. In verse 4, remain in me. I will remain in you. Abide in me. I will abide in you. It's that connection. It's that, it's that working at Staying close to him, this is a big criteria. You have to want it bad. You've got to work hard at it. You've got to, you've got to make it a priority. 
saying, if you really want joy, if you want to wake up in the morning with joy, despite your conditions, despite what's going on around you, you can still wake up with joy. And this is how you do it. You stay tight with me. Now, what, what pulls us? What pulls us away from that? I mean, we know it's true. We just read it, and we'll read some more of this. But what pulls us off the track when we know better? What pulls us? And it's that human nature. It's that four-letter word itself. I, I found a survey that Barnum you know how Barnum, he, he talks to Christians and he finds these surveys and he's asking Christians, what pulls you off the road of righteousness? What pulls you off from moving forward and loving him and living for him and listening to the spirit? What pulls you off And he gave five. These were the top five answers of what pulls us off. And the number one thing that, that takes us from the Lord, actually, it disconnects us from him. And we get pretty much like Mordecai and Esther. We try to figure things out ourselves. The number one thing that will pull us away from God and more withdrawn into ourself is worry and stress and anxiety. Those three things will do it. And it's so, I mean, with the conditions of life and with, you know, different doctor's appointments and, and those kind of things, we, we can get thrown off really quick. I still love when Joseph, in, in 2 Chronicles 20, when he was told that a vast army was coming against him. And it said, Joseph, alarmed. I, I would assume that alarm means, <gasps> he took a, took a breath, <gasps> gasp. I mean, it looked hopeless. But then, and that split second, I mean, you know, that's way back in Second Chronicles chapter 20, but when life throws you something, it takes you, you know, takes you back, and then you have a split second to decide, okay, I have two choices. Am I going to go my way or God's way? We've been talking about that. And he chooses, he gathers all the people together, and he said, we're going to have a big prayer meeting. And then he prayed this terrific prayer, and he acknowledged who God was and reminded him of his power and his might, and, and he is in control of all things, and he's in the middle of it all. And it just kind of reminds you, and he's, look what he's done for you in the past. You can count on him because he will never leave you. But the thing that we seem to be drawn to, our human nature, and when we disconnect, it's I, I need you every hour. And I'm going to pain. Come quickly, come quickly and abide, or I'm, go, I, I'm heading in the wrong direction. My life's in vain. So the first one is, and it is so subtle, Anxiety, stress. And the number two reason is procrastination. Procrastination. And, and you know what that means? It means when you have a busy day and, you know, you all of a sudden, now you say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry I didn't have time for you today, but you, you get it. 
you know I was doing a lot of good things and sorry, I just didn't get to you. When you procrastinate, when, when it's not that important to you, it's in all of your day, the thing that you should put number one, you've got, it just kind of slips on by. You say, well, one day. Well, you know what one day usually goes to, two, and then three. And then before you know it, you know, it pulls you off. You are then, let's see how I can figure my life out. And this whole trust and your faith is just. Number three, the number three answer was, oh, and this, I get it too, electronics. Social media and electronics. I mean, you know, maybe I've got a little older group here tonight, but you know, for the most part, you watch how things have changed so much. I guarantee you, people are reading their Facebook more than they're reading their Bibles. And they are definitely believing all these things that everybody's writing. And you want to say, Where'd you hear that from? You know, and they're just believing to face value. And it is a sad day, and that will pull you off course. Social media has really done us nothing really profitable when it comes to trusting God's word. Now, the number four, the number four reason is it's just sheer laziness. I mean, that sounds cold, doesn't it? I mean, you don't want to think of yourself as lazy, but it's in there. That's what Barnum surveys. People just, they're just lazy. They just don't do it because you know what? This is work. It's work to stay on track. You've got to, like I said, you want, you have to want it bad. It takes discipline. It takes effort. It takes work. And today's world, they're lazy. And the fifth reason, my, my first thought was, oh, come on, I don't quite believe this. But, you know, the more I thought about it, in the, in, it it's, it's food. It's eating. And the, the more I thought about it, I thought, well, yeah, you know, it, probably this survey, it's been taken in the United States, it would not have the same answers if you were in some poverty-stricken nation. I mean, they, they eat to live. I mean, they're hoping for a little morsel that will sustain them through the day. In our spoiled nation, we have got to the point where we live to eat. We don't eat to live. We live to eat. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with vacation, but vacation can be dangerous. Because you know what you say when you go on vacation? Oh, I'm going to take a break. You know, I'm just going to ease up on this, you know. That's why when we go away, when we go away, I write the study for next fall. Because I know, oh, you can talk yourself into it. Oh, I, I, I deserve a break. I, I can't, I don't dare take a break. I mean, maybe from routine, but I don't dare take a break break from this book because another thing with vacation you have a tendency you know sometimes when you go down south and, and you hear people talk at least you know if you're sitting by the pool and you hear people talk you know oh let's see big decision where should we go and eat tonight 
I mean, it's the big decision of the day. When I started thinking about that, then I thought, yeah, I guess that was in Barnum's survey. So it is definitely, you know, you think that this, this chapter 5 in Esther is not relatable. Well, you kind of look at these different words and the experience. We're a little bit more like Haman than we want to admit sometime. Now, you know, here's, here's another one. I mean, another survey. And this, this is for men in general. So I apologize for you guys that are in here. I don't mean to embarrass you, but this is a fact. This is a survey that men around the world, you know what pulls men away from the Lord? Here it is. And, and you see them all in this chapter. Here it is. Here's the top five. Money, sex, pride, envy, and lust. Sorry, guys, but that's what they say. That is just, that's human. That's our sinful human nature. And, you know, it sounds like awful big things. But, you know, when you look at this godless man, and when you disconnect from the Lord, guess what you are? You're godless. When you disconnect, then you are running your own life, and you are godless. I can do it, and it can happen to the best of us. You know, haven't you? You all know certain um, ministries, men who've been gifted by God to preach and to lead, and, and you've watched God use these men in extraordinary ways, and they have gotten ministries that are touching lives around the world. And how easy it is. And you know that these men were godly and they, they, they had their life right with the Lord. But you veer off course. You start thinking, you know what? You know, I, and you've watched these men fall. And boy, do they fall. And then you watch ministries fall. And then you know what? The world looks and says, I knew it. See, there's nothing to that. I mean, that's why... You know, we're told by Jesus, let your light so shine before men so that they can see your good works and glorify God, not you, because it isn't about you. Everything that you are is from him anyway. What right have you got to start taking any credit for it? Look how easy it can happen to anybody. That's how we need to cling. That's why we need him so badly. Because our human nature is pitiful. And we are drawn to that four-letter self-word. And that, that is what, you know, we think happy is all about. <laughs> When it pertains to the exterior, right there in your midst of self. And, and I'm here to tell you, keep John 15 right there in your mind because you should want joy far more than you want happiness. So anyway, now back to verse 9. But when Mordecai, when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence... He was filled with rage against Mordecai. Now, oh, what happened to Happy? You know, this is all about emotions. And you know we have emotions, and they can really be strong. And 
another, another life lesson. We always got to keep our emotions in their proper place. Because look how they could change to rage. I mean, I didn't even count like five, five sentences down. And he went from happy to rage. He was so filled with rage during Mordecai. Now, verse 10, verse 10. This is the one and only time I could say Haman did it some right. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. So he didn't cause a scene then. <laughs> he will plenty later. But I mean, right at this point. But look how his mood changed. From happy and high-spirited until now he's filled with rage. And he goes home and he's probably in a mood. And the only thing that's going to get him out of that mood is get a mirror, would you, wifey? So I can look at myself and see how great I am because this is what he does. He calls together his friends and his wife, Zeresh, and Haman boasted. He boasted. He just stood there and he boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the, the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave, and she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. So he is telling them, Oh, this is, he is just boasting all about himself. And of course, that word came right off the page for me again. And I thought, boast, how easy it is to, to, to love it when people notice you or when they compliment or when they say good things and, and when they recognize what you've done and they appreciate it. It feels good. But what about when they don't come through and when they don't appreciate and when they say nothing and they walk all over you and they take advantage of you. You think of how quick we change and how we get all riled up. They go, Lisa, thank you. Or, you know, we say these things and you can say it doesn't bother you, but it does. And so I had to go and thank you, Lord, for just reminding me that when Paul talked about this, listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul starts with these words, but God chose the foolish. Now, keep hearing this. God chose. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. The things that really should matter to us, like our righteousness and our holiness and our redemption, he gave them to us. No credit to us. And that's why Paul then ends with that, the chapter with, Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So look at that contrast. Who do you want to be like? And I think there's no question. 
but it does take ourself to get put in its place. Now, look what happens. Verse 13, after his big, boastful, you know, speech he gives, look at verse 13, but all this, all this, he says, gives me no satisfaction. If you've said anything right, Haman, you've said that right. You found out that earthly things, earthly power, earthly anything does not satisfy. Why would Jesus say, I am the living water. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. Because he knows what we need, he is. And so when Haman says, you know, all these things that I've just boasted about, that's, it doesn't satisfy me because, because I saw that Jew, Mordecai. That's the, another clue to me that they don't even know what it means to be a Jew. They haven't been told, they haven't been testified to that being a Jew means I'm God's people. I'm, I serve the one almighty God. They were, there was no testimony to the fact. I think they know, well, they're kind of a little different. They've got, you know, a few little different habits and they do things a little, but hey, they don't, they don't, you know, rock the boat at all. They, they do what they're told. So, you know, he just knows now that he's a Jew. So he just, that Jew, Mordecai, that Jew, Mordecai's, as long, but all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. Oh, he's not happy. So, verse 14, his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends, oh, they came up. They knew, you know, here, here we go again. You know, if Haman isn't happy, no one's happy. So let's all come together and try to come up with a plan to make him happy again because, you know, he can, he can be evil. They all know that. He's got a temper. So let's come up with a plan. So they did have, all, have a gallows built 75 feet high and asked the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanged on it. Oh, you know what? You, you can change all this, you know, build gallows 75 feet high so everybody can see that you mean business and this Mordecai is not going to get away with it. Oh, that sounds pretty good, that word revenge, payback. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This is silly, but it, it, I just have to tell you, I believe that God is so the God of details. Yesterday afternoon, you know, it was pretty snowy and icy, and I couldn't walk outside. So um, I took my little key, and I went to our clubhouse. No one was there. And they have a, a treadmill, a little bike. And so I thought, oh, I'll just do it here for 45 minutes or so. And so I flipped the TV on. And you know what was on TV when I flipped it on? Gunsmoke. Now, I haven't seen Gunsmoke in ages and you know, that's an old show. It's been, it was on for, I think, the longest running series. And, and of all the, well, of all the episodes, you know, at the time, I didn't think anything of it. I thought, well, you know, Matt Dillon, you know, Dodge City. And then, then it was about Festus. 
And if you remember, Festus, he hardly had a tooth in his mouth. He was always dirty, and he was the deputy, but he, was, he just had a heart of gold. He wouldn't hurt a flea. And here comes, some, here comes um, another town's um, leaders saying, you know what, um, Festus, he, we are taking him back to our town and try him for he murdered three men. <laughs> You know, Matt Dillon and Kitty and, you know, they're all, no, no, you got the wrong person. You know, obviously there's an identity problem here. Oh, no, we have witnesses. You know, we have witnesses. So they haul Festus back to their town, you know, and, of course, Matt Dillon gets on his horse and he's got he's to find some answers and they have the throne, and, and they convict him, and the judge passes down the punishment, and he said, you will hang on the gallows tomorrow. And that's when he said the word gallows, I'm thinking, oh, I don't believe this. And, and I know, I mean, you didn't see it, I did, but the Lord had, he said, I just want you to sense this. I want you to feel this. And what they did was they had the lumber and they were building the gallows in the middle of Main Street. And I heard the, the nails pounding and, and then, then they, you watch the gallows get built and then they, you see the rope that they hang and they are ready to hang Festus by his neck. And I'm thinking that when they said that, that's just sheer evil, revenge. They could care less about the fact that it wasn't, it wasn't even bad. Poor, poor Haman is in a bad mood. So we've got to do whatever it takes despite what it might do to someone else. It's 75 feet high. And they made those gallows. And it did make a point. And their whole idea was to hang that man by his neck. Now, what happened to Festus? Well, of course, Matt Dillon came to the rescue in the last minute. You know how that goes. But anyway, I didn't want to make it light. But yet I wanted you to see how of all episodes... At that time, at 2.30 in the afternoon, I watched Gunsmoke, and I saw the reality of gallows. That wasn't something I saw on a regular basis. I didn't do westerns that much. But that's, that's just, you know, but then Tom and I were talking about it last night, and he said, but then can you imagine how much worse the cross was? And that makes you think, too. And what is that? What was the cross? I mean, we know it's our salvation, but what did they do that for? It was for revenge, to get him. So there was a word that came out, and I had you look up in Romans chapter 12, and, you know, it's just so clear what the Lord through Paul wants us to see about that revenge. And you know, I don't care who you are, if someone has hurt you bad, you're the natural instinct is to let them pay. You want them to pay for what they did. And it's so clear when Paul writes, do not, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be 
careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. God will handle it. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And then Paul says, you know what the Lord really wants? Not only to not revenge, but he, he wants you to do this instead. <laughs> if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. You will give him no more ammunition. What can they say when you are just turn it right around and love unconditionally the way Jesus did to us? So this is the lesson. Now, after, after, you know, they came up with this plan and it says then after Mordecai, you know, then look at, think about it. Then go to the king. Now that you know we've got this solved, he's going to pay. Now go to the king, have your wonderful dinner. And then did you notice that? And be happy. Be happy. This suggestion did the trick. This suggestion delighted Haman. And he had those gallows built. Now, you know, we're going to see next week with chapters 6 and 7. I mean, you talk about God just orchestrating this. And, but, oh, this chapter, oh, this chapter spoke loud. And sometimes you, you just can't help but see that the Lord wants to remind us in our human nature and how easy it is to get off. But any, I want to leave with um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 4 just, to me, is the ultimate reminder. Nothing in all creation... Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Yeah. Heavenly Father, you have made it clear. You do expect action from our salvation. You do expect, you have a, a lot to come from us. You do have commands that we are to follow. You have a, a order that you want us to follow. You want to transform us like we learned last week. You want to transform us into the likeness of Christ. Father, we know we need reminders. We need chapters like this to have us visually see just how yuck that looks, how heartless. And yet, Father, how easy it is for even the best of Christians to veer off, how self, we're always in a battle with ourself. And we have, we have a choice to either go the way we want or your way. But Lord, help us to help us that we have seen from past and learning now in the present that it's such a better choice, even though it's harder. 
even though it, it might cause trouble and maybe not very happy. But Lord, there is a joy that can come when we remain in you and you remain in us. And like Jesus said in the rest of that chapter, I'm telling you this so that in me, your joy can be complete. We can have joy every day of the week, even despite our unhappiness. Our joy is you, Jesus. And we thank you that we have the privilege because of what you've done to be able to live like this if we choose. Oh, we love you, Lord. We lift our voice to worship. We now hope that you have taken joy in what we've done tonight. And may what we've said and learned, may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.